0: Really, Stephen is just being nice to me. He knew I wanted to preach a little bit, so he took some time off so I could have an opportunity to preach. So thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, but it, it really is a great day uh, to join you all, with uh, especially this day where you're honoring uh, Mike and Casey Forrest and their uh, move to Uganda in, in February. Um, as, as you know and as we'll talk about, I'm sure you know, Mike is going to be a chaplain at a Christian school in Uganda ministering the gospel to the faculty and administration and students And Casey is a nurse and will be training nurses to radically impact the birth survival rates of children. Talk about an extraordinary life, an extraordinary move. And for the Forrest family, it's a season of transitioning to a new phase of their mission together Um, and a transition for for all of you as you support them, uh, as you send them off, as you take new roles uh, in their absence um, they've served this church well, and many of you will be stepping into their their positions. Um, but also watching a member of your community make such a massive move might cause the rest of us to think, what, are, what, am, I, what am I doing? What's my mission? And so this morning, we're going to take a few moments. Uh, we're we're going to take some time to look at the last moments uh, of Jesus with his disciples. It, it really happened in, on one evening uh, the night before Jesus was to be uh, betrayed and, and arrested. And there's similar emotions in this moment with Jesus and his disciples, as you might be experiencing now. There's excitement, there's confusion, there's fear, there's ambition, there's anticipation, Mike, in case you're feeling any of those things right now. And the questions might be similar as well. What is my mission? What am I doing So we're going to see how Jesus answers that question for his disciples, and then when he answers that question, the next question flows immediately, how in the world do we do that? So I want to bring you into that evening, these last moments with Jesus and his disciples, and, and, if, and if you could, just try to enter into it. Imagine you're observing it. If you even close your eyes as I kind of tell this story, do it. But try to put yourself there. Remember, much of the scripture are these historical narratives. They're meant to paint a picture, to, to move you into the experience of it. So, so do your best to experience this the way the audience or the, the, the first the people of Jerusalem, his disciples, might have experienced it. If you've read through the Gospel of John, you might have noticed that chapter 1 through 12 um, is is big and loud and public. It's Jesus preaching open-air sermons. It's Jesus causing great controversy. It's Jesus exhibiting his power, feeding thousands, raising people from the dead, turning water to wine. It's loud. It's public. It's on display. And then there is a massive shift in chapter 13. 13 through 17 is private, it's small, it's quiet. It's the final words of Jesus to his disciples. And it's in these last moments on this last evening that we'll spend our time today. But I want to move you in as we think about this first question of what are we doing, what's our mission. This is the energy of the moment. It's a little hard for us to to probably get into this situation, Palm Sunday is Jesus entering into Jerusalem, and, and at this point, the city is in an uproar. Jerusalem was always swell, was swelling with, um, with uh, uh, religious tourists on this day, on the faithful coming into the city, um, religious pilgrims and all the accommodations for them, food vendors and lodging. Just close your eyes and imagine an ancient city, the stones, the, the city on a hill, the smells, the the, um, the, the loud, the, the raucous crowds of the city. But this day is unlike any other because the infamous rabbi Jesus has just entered the city riding on a donkey. And it, and it caused a stir in the air. All of Jerusalem is abuzz. Jesus is on display in front of the whole city fulfilling these expectations of the long-awaited Messiah. He knows the picture he is painting for this people, and the people see it clearly. The questions are there. Is this the moment? Is this the moment the long-awaited Messiah is going to come and finally purify the spirituality of the people and throw off the yoke of the Roman oppressors? Is this the moment when the great rebellion will happen, where all things will go back to the way they're supposed to be? Is this the moment? And imagine the disciples, their anticipation. What's going to happen next? He's leading us into Jerusalem. We're going to lead the the purifying rebellion. It's going to happen. Here we are. We've seen his power. This is the moment. How might they have felt? The excitement, the confidence, the massive mission they were on. And they were partly right. Jesus did have important work for them to do. Ended up being very different than they anticipated. Now take this loud crowd of Jerusalem and now move now through the city into the night as Jesus guides his disciples into some back corner of Jerusalem away from the crowds in some hidden room up on the second level, and now it's silent. And now it's just Jesus and the disciples, so much so that they can... See the emotion on his face. They can hear the emotion in his words. It is just Jesus and these first followers. What do we do now? What's the mission, Jesus? What happens tomorrow? What are they expecting? And Jesus tells them this. This is John fourteen twelve. He tells them a lot of things in this upper room. But listen to these words. Look at them on the screen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, we can't say everything that I'd like to say about this text. But imagine how they felt the emotions here. Wait, you're, where are you going? You're going somewhere? What are you? Where are you going, Jesus. The disciples actually asked this question. But if we focus on the the, the significance of this statement, let it flow over you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. He is telling the disciples, you're going to do greater things than I've done. And this is a significant communication to these disciples, because think of what he's doing. He's saying, I'm leaving, you're my first followers, let me tell you what happens next. Do you know who's included in that group of people? Everyone in this room who's following Jesus. They lived the rest of their life without the physical Jesus next to them, carrying out the mission. And that is the category many of you are in today, those who've come to follow Jesus He's not physically here. Somehow, mysteriously, his his dying and rising unleashes his spirit to empower us to do his work. But these words are as true of you today as they are of those people. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Do you believe that about yourself? Jesus says this about you. You'll do greater works than him. Imagine you're at a party and you have all the normal party questions. So where do you live? How many kids do you have? And then the question is what? What do you do? Somebody answer the question. What do you do? What? Well, come on. Don't be shy. What do you do? Any accountants in the room? Any accountants? CFOs? All right, nurses, doctors, like maybe some, maybe some uh, stay-at-home parents taking care of the kids. Someone said tired. You're tired? Is that what? What do you do? We ask the question because it's a significant part of our, our identity. It really is. We spend so much time in our vocations, using our skills and talents to, 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 to build and to create. It's a significant part of our identity. What this means for us, when Jesus says, you are going to do greater works than me, is that if you're a follower of Jesus, a prime, don't answer it this way, please. Don't be at a party and be like, what do you do? I continue the work of Jesus doing greater works than him. Do not be that guy. That is terrible. That is a terrible thing to say. But if you're a follower of Jesus, let these words wash over you. That when you say, I'm, I'm an accountant, or I'm a nurse, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a, I'm a gardener, or a business owner, I'm a stay-at-home dad, a stay-at-home mom, whatever it is that you might spend your time and energy creating and doing and serving, whatever you might say, you can know that under it, what you're doing is you're saying, I do that, but behind it and below it and woven into it is this mission. That what I do, what my mission is, is to continue the work of Jesus and somehow mysteriously doing even greater works than he did. So, what are we doing? What's our mission? Our mission, Jesus tells these disciples and us, is to continue his work, even doing greater works. Now, how you connect the dot, that needs to be fleshed out in different sermons and and in your community. What does it mean for you to continue your work in the marketplace? What does it mean to continue Jesus' work, I mean, in the marketplace? There's a lot of things that need to be said there. But but imagine that moment with those disciples. Jesus, what do we do now? And he says to them, I'm leaving, but I will empower you. But you are to continue my mission. And you're going to do greater works than me. And of course, we know from other teaching of Jesus that this is a global, expansive mission. Make disciples of all nations everywhere. Go to Uganda and San Diego and everywhere in between. Continuing my work, even doing greater works. Breathe that in, the significance of that. Depending on your personality, some of you might be very pumped up by that. Yes, greater works. Some of you are going to be like, well, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> so. <laughs> Some, some will be like, I don't know about that. I don't, I'm not sure how to connect the dots there. In, in, in a book by Zach Eswine, who's one of my seminary professors, he's a theologian and a, and a pastor of preaching, he talks about George Mallory. George Mallory was an English mountaineer who attempted the first ascent of Mount Everest, the world's tallest mountain, in 1924. Imagine that, before Patagonia and fleece and everything else you need. <laughs> There was nothing bigger or better for Mallory than being the first to climb Everest. His quest took him away from home for long seasons and even cost him his life. He was last seen in 1924, about 800 feet from the summit. Explaining one of his motivations in a letter to his wife, he wrote, I want more than anything to prove worthy of you. Reflecting on George Mallory, Zach Eswine writes this, He says, the fact of the mountain's existence, the quest for joy that drives humanity to struggle upward, upward, and the desire to prove worthy of his family were among the motives that drove George's famous expedition. He left a meaningful legacy that proved worthy of history's remembrance, but George's son John wrote something that has challenged me, Eswine writes. Proud of his father, but sad too, John wrote, I would so much rather have known my father than to have grown up in the shadow of a legend a hero as some people perceived him to be and then zach s asks, asks, asks a penetrating question he says why was mallory's pursuit of joy the meaning of life the worthiness of family and the and the loyalty to complete a task connected more with climbing a mountain than with the daily routines of of love and life and work and play at home make no mistake As a follower of Jesus, we are called to this expansive, unthinkably ambitious mission of continuing the work of Jesus in the world and together doing things that are greater than he has done. But when Jesus told his disciples that they would do greater things than him, he did it in the context of a powerful image. Do you remember the first thing that Jesus did with his disciples in this upper room or at least one of the significant things? He washes their feet. As if to give them an image of what it would look like to continue his work and do greater things, he says, let me paint this picture for you and then you unpack this in your life however this needs to look. Again, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do greater works than I do. But he also says in verse chapter 13, verse 15, For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. And then during the supper, he washes their feet. And we don't even need to go into the historical significance of how dirty the streets are and how culturally significant it was to wash your feet. We don't need to do any of that. Imagine someone washing your feet today. Imagine me coming down and taking your shoe off and washing your feet. It's awkward, it's weird, it's intimate, it's personal. You're touching your toes and whatever's between them. What's the picture the way of Jesus is washing feet, loving personal attention to those around us in the gritty details of ordinary life. If the first question is, okay, Jesus, what's our mission? And he says, to continue my work in the world, doing greater things than even I have done. The question is like, ah, qualify that for us. What do you, what do you, how do we do that? And he says, let me show you. Take your shoes off. close, personal, intimate. One person at a time. We're to continue the work of Jesus. So Jesus gives us this pattern. The pattern is to live lives of self-giving love for those God has placed around us in the ordinary, gritty details of their lives. And there's two significant pieces of this image. First, it protects us from the ambition of George Mallory, overtaking the ordinary and normal and good. It, it, it helps us to, to realize that we don't have to climb Mount Everest to become worthy. We don't have to have ambition drive us in hopes that we will be worthy someday. Jesus says, I wash your feet now. You're a person worthy of my attention and love And forgiveness. This is the gospel. Jesus came to die. We're to continue his work, but he alone dies as a sacrifice for our rebellion. He alone says to us, I place the love of God upon you already. Because I've chosen you and love you, that's why, not because you've climbed Mount Everest. So we get to escape the danger of our ambition whispering in our ears, you'll be worthy when you. Jesus says, your feet are washed. I love, you're loved. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made, the mistakes you're going to make, what you're thinking or not. It does, none of that matters. I've chosen to put my love upon you. I love you. And Do you see how that saves us from thinking that our great works make us worthy? But it also gives us an image of showing, of helping us see that that the, the way of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, isn't about climbing massive mountains, though massive mountains could be good to climb. It's about loving normal people like us in the intimate details of their every day. Think of it this way, when, when Jesus talks about doing more, greater things than him. Casey, how long have you been a nurse? How many? How many? How many people have you participated in their healing? (laughs) What's that? A A lot. Hundreds? Thousands? More than Jesus? It's not a competition. It's not a competition more than Jesus. But do you see how the healing ministry of Jesus is extended through your hands? For a moment. Yes, Casey, you have participated in more healings than Jesus did, and you will in Uganda. Think of that. How beautiful. But what it is, and what we see in this passage, is Jesus saying, I'm going to leave and empower you so that through your hands, the healing ministry of Jesus continues more expansive and greater than we could have ever imagined. Let me give you this last image of what this has looked like in the history of the church. Just as an example of what you, what the church has done and we can do together, infanticide was a horrible reality of the Roman Empire. Unwanted babies left on trash heaps to die of exposure. And in a letter from around 1 BC, um, we we see Hilarion writes Alexandria, his wife uh, at at home, uh, from Alexandria to his wife at home, and says, basically, um, if we have a son, keep him. If it's a daughter, discard her, right? It's a terrible practice. And, and uh, historians will talk about um, that in many instances, Christians would rescue these exposed infants, baptizing them and then bringing them in uh, um, with the, and caring for them with the aids of, of funds of the local churches. And, and listen to the result of this action. Now imagine like how small and ordinary that is. Saving babies from a trash heap. Those are the cultures discarding and now the Christians are, are saving them and loving them and bringing them up. And look at the results of this action. Roman Emperor Julian tried to launch a, a pagan charity to compete with the Christian charities that were attracting so many converts. Writing to a pagan priest, he says, the impious Galileans, the Christians, right? You're an impious Galilean. That's what you should introduce yourself as. Um, they support not only their poor but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. That community had learned to wash feet. The feet of their community and the feet of those around them. Loving personal attention to those around them in the gritty details of ordinary life caught the attention of the empire and it transformed the empire. Yes, together, by loving people in the ordinary ways that cross our paths, ways that might not be celebrated, together doing that, we continue the mission of Jesus and do greater things than he has done together for his glory. Today, let us celebrate that as we send the forests out and remember that even though most of you are not going to Uganda, you're here in San Diego doing the same work. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to, to believe it, to trust that you indeed have commissioned us on this work and that it's significant and it's deep and that we do greater things than you because you're in us, flowing through us, loving and serving others and that we do it as those who have already been forgiven and loved and made worthy by your work. Would that be our message, a message of loving others the way Jesus loved us because you first loved us. In your name we pray, amen.